The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus is a message. And at the center of that message is a person, a person whose life, whose death, whose resurrection changed everything. But what we also know about that message and about that person is it's not just for us, is it? That it was given to us, but it's not just for us. It's meant to go to the ends of the earth. It's meant to be for all people in all stages of life, in all places all across the world, that it was not meant to be kept to ourselves, that we were designed as the church to exist for other people, that we were designed to give and to share that, to bring Jesus into every relationship. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been trying to remind ourselves what it might look like to join Jesus in this mission, what it might look like to be a part of what God is doing. And what we want to challenge you and encourage you in is that there is a place for every one of us to start in that mission. There's there's an opportunity for every single one of us to be a part of how God wants to use us to reach the world around us. And so it might look different between us. It might look different for you than it looks like for me, but we all have a place that we can start. And so in this, we want to challenge you to think and maybe, maybe stretch yourselves to do maybe what you haven't done before, but also encourage you that the first step might be easy. It might be something that you can do. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28, if you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,550. Now, this text, if you have grown up in the church or been around the church for any period of time, um, this may be a text that is familiar with some of you. It's a text that has been known as the Great Commission. Now, if you are new to church or new to the whole God or Bible thing, I actually think you're a little bit at an advantage because sometimes with texts like this, those of us who've been a part of the church, we really quickly move to the parts that we know and have memorized and have heard over and over again. And so if you're coming to this new with fresh eyes, it's actually something I wish that we could all do because what can happen when you first approach this text is you might begin to notice things that you usually skip over. And so what I want to do as we look at this text, I want to take a moment and slow us down a little bit. We'll talk about some of the familiar ideas, but also about some of the things that I think significantly shape the way we read those ideas. I'll begin in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to start at verse 17 because I believe that is the most significant piece of this entire thing, because I believe when we understand what is happening with verse 17, it changes the way we read verse 18, 19, and 20. And it begins with this simple phrase, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which may seem insignificant unless you actually know who this is. This is, the, this is the 11 disciples, which means at this point, there were 12, one's gone. This is after Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas is out of the picture. This is after Jesus died, after Jesus rose from the dead. But before Jesus ascends to heaven, the future of the church is hanging in the balance. 
And so speaking to the 11 disciples, he's, he's saying to them, now I want to give something to you that will forever determine the future of the church, the future of this message. And so these 11 disciples, they spent the past three years with Jesus. They had access to Jesus that no one else had. They got to hear Jesus teach in crowds of a thousand, yet they also got to spend time just one-on-one with Jesus. They got to hear other people ask questions of Jesus, and then they got to have follow-up conversations about their questions that, that we don't even get to read about. They got to laugh with Jesus, to cry with Jesus, to walk with Jesus. They got to see the things that frustrated Jesus. They got to see the way Jesus interacted with the religious hypocrites. They got to see the way Jesus, Jesus treated the poor and the sick. They heard the teachings. They heard Jesus tell stories. They saw the miracles. Like these are the same people. They saw Jesus turn water into wine. They saw him walk on water. They, they saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. And they saw Jesus, after, after they witnessed his crucifixion, they also saw him alive and talked with him and touched him. That's the people this text is saying, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, is that not crazy? Like the people who saw Jesus alive, who saw the holes in his hand, who touched him, who interacted with him. Jesus saying, all right, now I want you to go with this message and tell everybody that I'm alive. And some of them are like, I, I'm not sure I buy it. Like that's the people that Jesus is talking to. Which like I understand when we have doubts. Like I get like we're, 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 we, have, we have doubts. Like this is all we got. But they, they had Jesus in flesh and blood and they're like, I, I'm just not so sure about some things. And those are the people then that Jesus says now, Go and make disciples. Now reproduce yourself so that others might know and hear. See, going isn't determined by knowing. You going and making disciples of all nations isn't determined by whether or not you know all the answers. It's not determined by a certain prescribed list of qualifications because the disciples weren't qualified for the mission that they had. The disciples weren't prepared for it. They didn't know enough. They didn't have the answers they needed to have. But Jesus doesn't pass his authority on to people who are qualified. Jesus qualifies the people he passes his authority on to. And so Jesus, with these 11 disciples, he says, here's what I want to do. And I know you're not prepared for it. I know you don't know enough, but I don't care how much you know. I want you to go. And take the little that you do know, and I just want you to share that with another person. And so he says, go, go and make disciples, which I can't help but think about myself because I think of all the times where I feel like I'm not prepared, where I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to have that conversation. I'm not prepared for what if, what if that person responds a way that I just don't know the answer to? Or I can't help but think about all the number of times I've talked to adults who say, I want to invest in the life of a teenager, but I don't, like, I don't know how to answer their questions about the Bible. I don't even know the Bible very well. Or the, or the number of people I've heard that, that before going on a mission trip said, I don't know enough to go on this mission trip. I'm not prepared to go on this experience. Yet then they go, even though they didn't know. And then they see what God does through them. See, going isn't determined by how much you know or how qualified you are. It's simply God has handed over to you his authority. He says, now I want you to use this. And so Jesus, giving that authority over, says, therefore, go and make disciples. Now that phrase, therefore, go, is significant. You can also actually translate it, as you are going, which I love the way that you can translate that because I think it highlights something different for us. It's as though Jesus is saying, I know you're going somewhere, 
And so wherever it is that you're going, I just want you to make disciples wherever it is you're going. Like, I know you're going to work, so while you're going to work, how about you make some disciples while you're there? I know you're going to be in school, and so how about you, are, how about you be intentional about the conversations you have when you're at school? I, I know you're going to put your kids to bed at night, and so maybe you can be intentional with the time that you have when you're putting your kids to bed at night. And so Jesus is, is saying, all right, I want you to go, and so as you're already going, as you're interacting, as you're doing, what if you thought differently about the opportunities you had? Instead of thinking, all right, how do I change what I'm doing to begin going? How about I consider how I already am going and look for those spaces and those places to begin to look for the open doors? And so for some of you, those open doors might be people you already know. They might be conversations that have already started. They might be ministries that you're already a part of. For others of you, those open doors might be new conversations or people that God's putting on your heart or new experiences, a new trip, a new, a new opportunity that you haven't really thought about before. He so says, I want you to go, and as you're going, what I want you to do is I want you to make disciples. Now, that idea of making disciples is a little bit odd. Now, now most of us probably don't think it's odd. Like, if, if we're been around the church, you're like, oh, that's what you do. You make disciples. But nowhere else in our world really talks about making disciples. That's one of those things that it's Christian speak, that we're all Christians, so we're like, we know what disciples making means, but we don't actually know what it means. Like, we, we act like we know, but we don't, really, we don't really understand it. And so this idea of making disciples, it's that kind of Christian speak language and what many of us have in our mind is that making disciples is about information. It's about you, you get in rows and you learn a certain amount of information and, and that once you know enough information, then you're a disciple of Jesus. But making disciples is not actually about information. Making disciples is about transformation. It's less about what you know than, than about what you see and experience. It's about somebody showing you Jesus. No, I actually think most of us have experienced discipleship in our life in a variety of different areas that aren't the church. You just don't call it that. And so when you think about the sports team, you think about the coach who has a team of 12 girls and he's trying to lead them and teach them what it looks like to play basketball, that's discipleship happening. Because what that coach sees in that group of girls is he says, I'm gonna spend some intentional time on the court and off the court. And I'm going to see certain things in some of those girls, and I'm going to draw things out of them. And so that coach might say to one of them, you're a leader. And speak that into them. And maybe they never even saw themselves as a leader. And so he calls something out in her and says, do you realize the way people respond to what you say and what you do on the court? And what you do when you interact with the people in your life. And, and this, this coach will find things in other players and say, all right, do you see what you can do and what you can offer and what you can offer? And then that coach with that, with that small group of people and says, can you imagine what's possible when we do this together? Or what that coach is doing is showing them who they are and who they could be. That's making disciples. So, some, some of you have actually had your grandkids make disciples of you. Maybe you didn't realize this, but like you, you had your phone and you handed it over to, you, to your kids or your grandkids and say, can you tell me about this Facebook thing? Like, tell, tell, what is this thing called Instagram? Like, so you handed it over and they, what did they do? They discipled you. They, they, they took the phone and they showed you. They said, all right, here's this. Here's this thing called a meme. And he, oh, oh, you shouldn't comment that there, Grandma. Like, that's embarrassing. Don't do that. But they showed you how it works. That's making disciples. They are showing you what's possible. And some of that includes information, 
but it also is helping you think. And it's, help, and it's demonstrating, right? That's making disciples. Or some of you experience that in, in the workplace. You bring somebody on the team. And so some of it is teaching. You're teaching them about, about the way the company operates. You're teaching them about the business, but you're also showing them. You're introducing them to people and you're teaching culture and you're drawing things out of them and you're showing them who you are as an organization and finding a way to bring those things together. What, what are you doing? You're showing them. Discipleship is a lot more about showing a person than it is about helping a person acquire knowledge. And yes, there is knowledge there, but the knowledge is meant for how it teaches us to live and to be in this world. And so we learn more and more about who we are because of who God says we are, and we learn more and more about how to live in this world. And so Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. Now, the best, obviously the best place to look for what discipleship looks like is, is Jesus. I mean, that was kind of his thing. And here's what's really interesting, and some of you may have never actually thought about this. When Jesus makes disciples, when they become disciples, is it before or after they believe in Jesus? Jesus, when he calls disciples to become disciples, they don't believe that Jesus is actually the son of God. Like, is that not bizarre to think? Like, most of us, we think about, all right, oh, does be, becoming a disciple of Jesus, right? Being a disciple is, a, is what happens once you're a believer in Jesus. But when Jesus makes disciple, discipleship is what happens before a person becomes a, becomes a believer in Jesus. Like, they become disciples, they start following Jesus, they start serving alongside Jesus, they start serving other people. They're a part of healing and serving and caring before, before they ever even actually believe it. And then they actually become the leaders of it before they even have all their doubts d dealt with. See, disciple-making begins with a person's name, not with a person's decision. And yes, we would love for a person to believe in Jesus. We would love for a person to follow Jesus. But maybe, maybe you are a lot closer to making disciples than you think you are because maybe it's as simple as knowing your neighbor's name. Maybe it's as simple as knowing your coworker's needs. And you may not even know the questions that they're trying to have answered, but you know them. And that's the place where disciple-making actually begins. It begins with that relationship. And so Jesus says, make, go and make disciples. And the place I want you to do that is I want you to do it in all nations. I want it to be everywhere. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Now, the, the crazy thing about when Jesus gives this is we are actually, we are the ends of the earth. We are the all nations. The reason that we are here today is because this happened. Because people went. Because people shared. Because people did this. And when we think about the mission to go and make disciples of all nations, on a global scale, Christianity is growing in a lot of places. In America, Christianity is in decline, which means the greatest mission field in our world today is actually your backyard. And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he's reminding us that you don't have to go far to go. Like when you go and make disciples, as you are going, when you do this, you don't have to go far. And we need people who go far, but you don't have to go far. God has given opportunities that include overseas as much as it includes the person next door. And so we can think about all the different ways that God challenges us to go. You can think of mission trips and neighbors. You can think of going and giving. You can think of conversations and invitations. All of these are ways we make disciples. 
And so for some of you, the way that God is calling you to go and make disciples, it could be a mission trip. This is why, why after all of our services today, we, we are having an informational meeting because we believe there's something significant about when you go outside of your typical environment in order to make disciples. And we have mission trips from, from ages eight all the way through 98. It doesn't matter your age. We believe that you can go and be a part of making disciples because it's not about how much you know. And so after service, if you want to just get an idea of what some of those look like, one of the ones I'm most excited about, we're, we're doing a mission trip this year to Acuna, Mexico, that's designed for middle schoolers to get on the mission field with their parents. Which think about the disciple making that happens in that environment when a parent's discipling a kid as they disciple, make disciples somewhere else. Alongside one another, they can actually build a house for a family and so if you want to get more information, we'll have an opportunity for a short meeting after services in the gym. And that, so that could be a mission trip. But for some of you, you might be, we might be talking about this, and you just have a name that comes to mind. And don't discount that name that comes to mind, because that's God putting them in your mind. So maybe for some of you, it's an opportunity to talk to somebody, to have a conversation with somebody. For some of you, that's going, that you're thinking of somewhere or someone or some group of people. For others of you, that could be giving. It could be giving of your resources to another person to say, I wanna come alongside what you're doing and how you're investing in people. This is why a few weeks ago, Joe talked about this four campaign. The idea was that imagine what would happen is if we all gave 1995, right? If we all just gave a little bit, we could make a big impact in the communities, and so we, we wanna come alongside a few different organizations. We wanna come alongside some missionaries who are trying to reach out to Haiti. We wanna come alongside those who are providing prenatal care in, in the city of Detroit. We wanna come alongside those who are fighting human trafficking in Detroit. And so you, you can, and there'll be an opportunity to give again just one last weekend um, after service. And by doing that, what we can do, we might not be going, but as we are giving, People are investing in the lives of other people as they're pouring into their communities. Because we don't give to make ourselves feel better. We're giving so that discipleship happens. The same thing happens with those names on the tree. The reason we're doing that is not so that us suburban Christians can feel better about ourselves. Or that, that's not what it's about. If that is what it's about, stop doing it. The reason that we're doing it is because what we can do for those organizations, what we can do for Detroit Rescue Mission, what we can do for Victory Lutheran, what we can do for Peace in Detroit, what we can do for House of Hope in Lake Orion and Oxford, what we can do is we can raise them up as they are investing in their communities. Because we're coming alongside people who are doing life. They are, as they are going, they're making disciples in those places and they can't do it alone. So we can give, we can support, we can encourage. It's a way that you and I can be a part of making disciples because none of us can do this alone. If it was just about me and what I had, the church would end very quickly. And if it was just about you and what you had and your gifts and your opportunities, this wouldn't last very long. It's about going and it's about giving. It's about conversations and it's about invitations. And so sometimes that going is about the faith conversation with a person. Sometimes it's you asking the questions. Sometimes it's you listening to their hurts and their stories. Sometimes, though, it's just as simple as, hey, would you come to church? And the reason I share that as an example is because I don't want us to discount how important it is to simply give an invitation. 
Because most people come to church not because they drove by and saw the sign, not because they Googled churches in Troy. Most people come to church because they know somebody who invited them to church. There's a pastor in the Atlanta area who shares what he calls the three knots. And if we're thinking intentionally about making disciples as you are going, I think if we pay attention to these three knots, it will help us invite others to church. And these three knots are this. It's not in church, not going well, not prepared for. My challenge for you is if you hear any one of these three things, it should cue you to automatically respond, hey, you should come to my church. And so it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what the context, if you're in school, if you're, at, if you're at work, if you're across from somebody at a restaurant, you don't even know who they are. If you hear one of these things, I want you to respond and invite somebody to church. And so you might hear somebody say, you know, I'm just, I'm not really a church person. Like I grew up, like, at kid, like when I was a kid, we used to go to church at Christmas, but I'm not really a church person. Hey, you should come to my church. Or, you know, I don't really, like, I just don't get the whole church thing. Like, I don't get the traditions and the rituals. And I don't, like, I, like, I've gone, but I just don't understand. Hey, you should come to my church. Like, I, you know, I know I should go to church. I just haven't really been in a long time. Like, I just haven't been able to make the time. You, you should come to my church. Or, you know, things just aren't going well right now. Like, my marriage is hard. Like, we keep fighting and we keep missing each other. And, like, we can't figure, like, man, things aren't going well. Hey, you should come to my church. Or, or, like, we just moved into this area, and we were not prepared for how hard it was going to be to meet people and how hard it was going to be to figure out, like, our new life and our rhythms. And, and You should come to my church. I, I was not prepared for, what, like, the pressure of senior year. Like, I have to figure out colleges, and, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next week yet alone. I have to figure out what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like, I was not prepared for that. Hey, you should come to my church. And you, and you might be thinking, like, is that really the solution? Like we just, oh, we just invite them to church and suddenly everything's all better. I mean, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't, I don't think it's gonna hurt. And I do think that in all of these situations, Jesus wants to be a part of it. The person who wants nothing to do with church because they've been burned out on religion, they're done with God, they tried it, they've been there, and it's just not for them. Jesus wants to be a part of their life. And I do know that, these, that people, when things aren't going well, Jesus wants to be a part of their life and Jesus wants to put other people in their life, whether they believe in Jesus or not, Jesus wants to put, give people other people who can be there for them when things aren't going well. And when life is overwhelming and we are unprepared for what we're about to face, I do know that Jesus wants to surround us with a community, give us a place where we can belong, and Jesus wants to be a part of those conversations. And so your response for any of these three, three knots is simple. It's come sit with me, which is different than just, hey, you should, you, not, services are at 9, 15, and 11. No, it's come sit with me. Because if disciple making begins with a name, then an invitation attached to a name that also tells you I have a seat for you changes the way a person might hear that invitation. And we believe that this is so important. In fact, we, we, we have decided that when it comes to us, if we are gonna bring Jesus into every relationship, we need to think about the mission first. We need to think about what are the opportunities that we have and how can we make it as easy as possible for you to invite other people. And so one of the ways that this is happening, and this is just one of the ways, on Christmas Eve, what we have learned is that the time that most people are coming and responding to invitations to come to church is four o'clock, there's barely any seats in here. 
And so in order to better be on mission and make it easier to invite people and their friends and family, we are gonna have more opportunities that have childcare and we're, shift, and we're shifting those service times earlier. So there's two, four, six, and eight. And by doing so, it will make it easier for more people to hear, come sit with me. Why? Because we believe that the church doesn't exist for ourselves. It's not just about what we like and what we want. It's for other people. And so how can we orient ourselves and operate in such a way that we can say to another person, come sit with me? And this isn't just because like we like it. Right, church, like, like if church was a hobby, like it's not really a good hobby. Like, like if, if church is your hobby, like that's kind of weird, right? We go because there's something significant about this. We go because, because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, now go and Jews. Jesus is the one who says, gather together. Jesus is the one who says, receive from me. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and now go, he is handing that over to us. We go because he came. It's not just somebody who said this is a good idea. It's the one who actually has the power to raise from the dead. He's the one who says to go. And when somebody who doesn't stay dead tells you to go, you usually listen. We go because he came. And so Jesus says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Jesus gives us his authority. And see, I often take that for granted. Because when I think about my opportunities to share, I usually don't think about it as, like, this is with authority. Like, even when I prepare for a message or even when I stand up here, like, to actually think for a second, like, no, this is, like, God's given authority. Like, these are, like, when I say that your sins are forgiven, that, like, those are the words of Jesus. Like, it's not just my words. Right? In Jesus' authority, it can forgive sins, it heals the sick, it raises the dead, it sets the captive free. Do you realize that when you go, as you speak to other people, you go with the authority of Jesus? And so when somebody finally opens to you about, about what they're struggling with, like they finally figured, figured, felt like you were a safe person to say, here's what's going on, and they, say, and they open up, and you tell them, you know what, your sins are forgiven. Jesus washes it all clean. Do you realize the authority and power in that words that Jesus is actually doing something in them? And my words have never actually raised the dead, which that would be pretty cool, but, it, like, but what I do know is there is a power, like what you can speak into the dead places in a person's life, and Jesus can bring hope and can bring peace. He, he, he speaks into that. And so the question is, what will you do with that authority? Jesus gives that to us, but he doesn't give it to us to stay with us. And so then he concludes it all with a promise and says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because what Jesus wants to remind you is that you never go alone. Wherever it is, as you're going, as you're going into those places and as you bring that authority into those places, you don't go alone. As you are overwhelmed with the fear, as, as you try to do what you feel like God is calling you to do, Jesus says, you're, you're not alone. And you might not be sure how it's gonna work out, but Jesus is far ahead of you. You, not, you might not be sure about how you're gonna make it work or how you're gonna do these things because you don't know enough and you're not prepared enough and you're not qualified enough. Jesus is already, is already way ahead of you. You don't go alone. When you aren't sure if your kids will ever get what you're trying to pass on to them, you don't go alone. 
If you aren't, when you aren't sure if your coworker will ever respond to that invitation, you don't go alone. When you aren't sure if you're qualified enough or if you have what it takes to go to that country or to help those people, you're not alone. When you're afraid of what could happen if you fail, you're not alone. If you are convinced that God would never use someone like you, you're not alone. Jesus doesn't ask you to go where he's not willing to go. And because Christ lives in us, where you go, so does he. And what I know is true of you, I know is true of all of us, that the reason you and I are here is because someone did that for us. Someone showed up for you, and it wasn't just them showing up. Because the way that God chooses to work in this world is most often through another person. And so somebody showed up for you. Maybe it was a parent who showed up and they spoke life to you. They spoke an identity over you of who God says you are, and you are who you are because of a parent. And when that parent showed up, it wasn't just that parent who showed up, though. It was Christ in them. Some of you are here because you had a small group leader who invested in you. They showed up at your games, and you thought it was just they were just cool and showing up at your games. But then one night, you called them because you felt like you were all alone, and you were reminded that you were not alone. And when they said to you, you are not alone, it wasn't just them on the phone, was it? Some of you had a friend who when things were falling apart and you stood by the graveside and you didn't have the answers and you didn't know what to say, you had a friend who who showed up and they didn't have the answers either and they didn't know what to say either, but when they showed up, it wasn't just them who showed up. See, when you show up, no matter how messy no matter how broken, no matter how scary it is, when you show up, so does Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, he he does what he promises to do. He promises to go with you and he promises to bring his grace and his love and his hope to places where it couldn't go before. I wanna pray for us and then we will prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who shows up. That in the midst of our own sin, in the midst of our own failures, in the midst of our own insecurities, that you show up. We thank you for all the people in our lives who have showed up. We thank you for parents and small group leaders and neighbors and friends and coworkers who have showed up in our own lives to love us, to be there for us, to remind us of who you are and what you've done. We pray that you would help us to do the same for other people, that you would remind us of the places you have called us to go. We pray that you would remind us that as we go to those places, that we would be reminded that we are not alone. Jesus, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that even in this, that you show up, that you give of yourself to us. So we just pray that we also would cry out to you for mercy for all the times that we fail to love you, that we fail to love our neighbors. We pray that you would forgive us for when we don't show up, when we don't love like you've taught us to love. And so I pray that you would hear us as we personally and quietly confess to you our sin. The promise of Jesus is that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failure, he shows up and he gives to us himself. 
And the words that Jesus speaks to you today are that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.